unclean, unclean. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if everywhere you went, you had to proclaim unclean, unclean? Can you imagine how crazy that would be? I invite you to turn to Luke 17 this morning uh, as I'm excited to share with you a portrait of Thanksgiving as we are entering Thanksgiving week. Um, I want you to turn to Luke 17, but as you turn there, I want to talk to you about leprosy. (laughs) This is a bright shining day, isn't it? I'm going to share with you some information about leprosy according to the Mayo Clinic. Are you ready? One of you said yes. It's not like you have a choice, but I'm trying to include you in the matter, all right? All right. Leprosy is also called Hansen's disease, which would make sense of that horrible song back in the 90s. <laughs> Leprosy is spread by airborne droplets, which is like coughing or sneezing. I'm, I'm, my goal is to make somebody nervous in here. Somebody coughed. You did that on purpose. Leprosy can last for years, even lifelong. There are about a hundred cases of leprosy diagnosed in the U.S. per year. And this is a quote. This is how it's described. It says, leprosy is caused by infection with the bacterium Mycobacterium leprae. It mainly affects the skin, eyes, nose, and peripheral nerves. Symptoms include light-colored or red skin patches with reduced sensation, numbness, and weakness in hands and feet. Leprosy can be cured with 6 to 12 months of multi-drug therapy. Early treatment avoids disability. Well, I hope I don't get it. That's leprosy. That's how it's defined today. I encourage you, wash your hands, uh, people. But that's crazy. Leprosy was pretty common in Scripture. We see leprosy in the Old Testament. We see leprosy in the New Testament. And and because medical uh, technology, medical understandings were a lot different then compared to now, um, it was basically uh, leprosy could be summed up with any form of skin condition. So true story. Back in the day, back in biblical times, any type of skin condition that you had Somebody might have accused you of being a leper. So if if you deal with eczema, you know, that's red patches, you might have leprosy and you would get sent to leprosy camp. If you had um, chicken pox, well, that doesn't look right. There's something wrong with your skin. You must have leprosy. If you had measles, if you had a wart in the wrong spot, you might be a leper. True story. If you are like me and get sunburned real easily... And then a few days after you get sunburned, your skin starts peeling. Guess what? You might be a leper. All right. That's how like extreme they were. If you had anything going on with your skin, you might be a leper. So they covered, you know, that's why everybody, you see all these pictures and stuff. Cause you know, they had photographs back then and like people wore long stuff. Cause it's like, man, I might have something going on, but you ain't going to call me a leper. And they'd send you to leprosy camp. And by the way, leprosy camp, that was a real thing. You didn't even have to pay to go to it. It was amazing. Leprosy camp was set up. It was a real thing. Because if you were accused of being a leper, you were cast out. 
You were, you, were, you were exiled, you were kicked out, you had to leave your family, you had to leave your village, your city. You were literally cast out because it was spread so easily, they didn't want to run, they didn't want to run the risk of you infecting everybody. So you were literally cast out of the town, you were cast out of the city. So what would happen was these, these lepers would get cast out and typically they'd just kind of link up and form their own little uh, community of leprosy. And here's where it's crazy, because if you're like me and you get sunburned and your, your skin's, you know, dealing with sunburn and you don't have leprosy at all, but you get sent to a leprosy camp, guess what? You're going to get leprosy then. Guys, leprosy was a death sentence back then. Either which way you look at it, even if you didn't actually have leprosy and you got sent to one of these leprosy camps and you started hanging out with lepers, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get leprosy. And it was a fatal disease that you contracted back then. They were exiled from society. They had to stay away. They had to stay outside the city. They had to stay outside the towns. But they lingered there because they had to have some form of, they had to find a way to get stuff. They would rummage through trash. They would find scraps. They would find things to eat. They would come into the city and sit on the outskirts of the city and beg. They would wrap their entire body in cloths. And sometimes if they had some money or if they had it available to them, they would cover it in ointment. But everywhere they went, they had to shout, unclean 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 and people would scatter the other day i went to the movies and like every seat was taken and i'm like hey i didn't do it but i'm seriously thinking about it you know unclean somebody probably offer you a job or something you never know it's a different world unclean look Let's think about different leprosy. People are around here afraid of the flu. How many of you have already had the flu this year? Yeah, see, uh-huh. Here's the thing. When you were a leper, it was kind of like the unwritten rule in the law that you had. It was mandated to you that you had to let it be known that you were a leper. You had to walk around shouting unclean. Somebody in this room says, yeah, I had the flu. Guess what's going to happen on your row? Let's say you're at the grocery store this coming week buying all your goodies for Thanksgiving and you hear somebody coming down your aisle. Hey, everybody, I have the flu. Just want you to know I have the flu right now. I'm running about a 102 temp. Are you going to be like, oh, bless you. I'll be praying for you. Let's see. Where are those box mashed potatoes? No, what are you going to do? We're going to sit silently and wait for you to continue. That's what we're going to do. What are you going to do if somebody's walking down the aisle of your grocery store saying, I got the flu? You're going to run. You're going to clear out of there. You'll probably abandon your buggy and just go sit in the car or go to another grocery store. You will, won't you? That's just the flu. These people were lepers. So when they're walking around shouting unclean, guess what happened? The people scattered. They might have run inside, shut the door, shut the windows. They might have just run until they stopped. I mean, they just had to get away from you. This was how lepers lived their life. Could you imagine that let's look at luke chapter 17 i want you to i want to show you this this passage of scripture and as we begin to prepare for thanksgiving this week i want to see what god's word talks to us about beginning in verse 11 dr luke writes this he says now on his way to jerusalem jesus traveled along the border between samaria and galilee as he was going into a village Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, 
and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. One out of ten, one out of ten came back to give thanks. This morning as we unpack this text, I want to show you four things in this text that Jesus eliminates. Four things from this passage that Jesus eliminates as we consider Thanksgiving and how we give thanks. Number one, we see that Jesus eliminates the prognosis. Jesus eliminates the prognosis. We see very clearly in verse 14, it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. So there were 10 guys, right? 10 lepers. Now, what is it they were asking Jesus for? Time out. Stop. Everybody stop. Everybody stop. I know I'm totally interrupting your conversation. This morning, we're, as we walk through this passage together, I'm going to ask you questions that I'm going to expect an answer from. And here's the good thing. All of the answers I'm expecting are found right there in the Bible. Got it? So, this is an interactive sermon experience today. We invite you to Westmead Baptist Church. All right, so, um, we're just going to have a good time going through this scripture, church. I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable. I just want us to enjoy this together as we talk about it. So, in your scriptures, what is it the ten men asked Jesus for? Mercy. I want to point that out. I want to point that out. Now, realistically, as they stood at a distance and called out to Jesus, Chuck, you with me? I'm just making sure. As they stood at a distance and called out to Jesus, that might have been their way of asking, hey, will you heal us? But what they physically, verbally called out was, Jesus, have mercy, have pity on us. They were asking for the mercy of Jesus. And lo and behold, he eliminates their prognosis of being a leper. Why are they calling out for the mercy of Jesus? Because this is the Jesus. This is the same Jesus they heard about that, that probably they heard stories of how he's healed other lepers. This is the same Jesus they've heard about that has caused lame, the lame to walk again, that's caused the blind to see, that has healed all types of infirmities. You know, if we look at the timeline of this text, and hold it to the other Gospels, it wasn't too much further in front of this that we saw Jesus heal Lazarus and bring a dead man back to life. Now I want you to think about this. If you have been sentenced to leprosy camp, if you are unclean, if you are a leper, your life is over. We just said leprosy was basically a death sentence. And for them, this Jesus guy coming into this region, they thought this is our only hope if we're ever going to be whole again. This 
as our second chance at life. That maybe they weren't in the grave like Lazarus was, but this was their death sentence that they were waiting for that moment where their life would end. And then Jesus was coming by. But let's focus on Jesus here. Let's focus on Jesus the way they focused on Jesus in this text. Ready? You ready, church? Okay. Where was Jesus heading? Jerusalem. You see that in verse 11, right? Now, also if you consider the timeline, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and for the record, this is the last time Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Because the reason Jesus is going to Jerusalem is to willingly lay his life down for the glory of God the Father for our benefit. As Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, he knows what's waiting on him there. He knows what's going to be taking place. He knows what is going to be asked of him. Speculation question, but don't answer out loud. As Jesus is going to Jerusalem, do you think mercy was on his mind? You think as he was going to Jerusalem and there's these ten men shouting, Jesus, have mercy on us. I can imagine that Jesus, considering the mercy that he was about to be refused, the fact that he was not about to have any mercy shown to him, turns around and shows an abundance of mercy to these ten men. Church, let me ask you a question. Has Jesus ever shown you mercy? Have you ever experienced the mercy of Jesus in a way that it transformed how you thought? It transforms how you acted. It transformed your attitude. It transformed your words. Have you ever received the mercy of Jesus? Because if you have, this is your thanksgiving. When we can go and proclaim what the mercy of Jesus has done in our lives, that is a symbol of us giving thanks to God for what he has done by finding us faithful to proclaim the power of our testimony of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus eliminates the prognosis with his mercy. Second thing that Jesus eliminates in this text is Jesus eliminates the problem. He eliminates the problem. We see that he eliminated their leprosy, but there was also another problem that went to take place. See, what I didn't tell you about was when people were, were declared lepers, when they were sent to leprosy camp, when they were outcasts, that's exactly what they became. That even if me who went out with a sunburn and my skin was peeling, once it all peeled off and I'm like, hey, this is not leprosy after all, I'm doing pretty good. I couldn't just show back up at the house and be like, hey guys, false alarm, we're good. What's for dinner? You know, if, if Justin was the leper... And he missed a couple of Sundays, and the next thing you know, he walks back into church. I'm like, hey guys, don't worry about it. I'm good. I'm clean. We're good. Don't worry about it. You're not going to buy it. You're not going to believe it. Because the process of things was, if anyone had ever been declared a leper, even by their own admission or somebody else accused them of it, they had to go and present themselves to the priest. They couldn't just walk back back into their normal lives. They had to basically be uh, certified to do that. They weren't released back into the general population unless they had somebody that said, oh, this is true, you don't have leprosy. I would have think they would imagine have appeared themselves before a doctor, but it was different times back then. So they went and showed themselves to the priest, which is why Jesus said to them, go show yourself to the priest. 
Because you had to show yourself to the priest to show him that you didn't have leprosy. And the priest had to declare you clean. Y'all got it? And once you were clean, you didn't have to go back to leprosy camp. You didn't have to go back into exile. You didn't have to go back to being an outcast. You could go back to the world. You could go back to your family. You could go back to your way of life. The fact that Jesus eliminates the problem. First, he eliminated the prognosis and the fact that they were no longer unclean. But then he eliminated the problem. They said, go and show yourself to the priest because he's going he's gonna to acknowledge that what I have declared unto you, you're clean. And you can go back to be with your family. You're no longer an outcast. Jesus not just made them no longer lepers, he made them no longer outcasts. He gave them meaning. He gave them a family again. Church, we talked about this last week in our Acts class. And those of you who are in small groups, you're going to be studying this maybe after Christmas. By the way, if you've never been to small groups and you're real curious about small groups, I encourage you to go to small groups tonight. They start at 6. It's the last meeting of the fall, so nobody's going to expect you to come back next week. So you really should check it out without any obligation, okay? And if you don't have a small group, just join us here tonight at 6 o'clock. Just a little advertisement there. Be a small group. But church, the the reality of the matter is this. If you study the world, if you look at the world and the culture of which we live, if we do this thing called Christianity right, we will be outcasts. If we live our faith according to the scriptures and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we will be considered outcasts in this world. Why? Because they considered him an outcast. Hence, they crucified him. And we're to follow in his footsteps. We will not be accepted. We will not be the social norm. We will not be just one of the guys. We will look different by how we live, how we speak, how we think, how we act, how we love. We will be isolated when we live out our faith, church. Do not believe for one minute that you can faithfully live out your life as a Christian and expect to be accepted into all your social circles. Because if you're doing it right, that's not going to happen. Our faith separates us from this world. We are outcasts if we live our faith correctly. But look at this. Our faith may separate us from the world. Our faith in this world may make us outcasts, but our faith assures us citizenship in the kingdom of God. And I love that how God eliminates the problem for us being outcasts because of Jesus Christ. That he doesn't just eliminate the problem by giving us his friends. He eliminates the problem of us being an outcast by giving us a family, by making us a part of his family, by making us co-heirs with Christ as it says in the Word of God, that He eliminates the problem of isolation by making us part of the family of God. It's a a family, a fellowship of faith. And what is faith? Belief in action. One day, somebody's going to remember that. Faith is belief in action. When we live out what we believe in, that is our faith. And if I may recall, if I can point you back to this text, if you remember... Their faith, working in conjunction with the mercy of Jesus, is what healed them. Look at the text. What does Jesus say? Go show yourself to the priest. It doesn't say in the next verse, at once they were miraculously healed. No, 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 no. What happens? What? 
Somebody says, on the way. What does your version say? As they went, what happened? They were healed. They were cleansed. It was the mercy of Jesus and their response in faith that fixed the problem. Don't miss that, church. Don't miss it. It's not just what Jesus has done, but it's our response of faithfulness that leads to God doing great things in our life. So we see that Jesus eliminates the prognosis. We see that Jesus eliminates the problem. Third, I want you to see is Jesus eliminates the prejudice. Jesus eliminates the prejudice. You know, this, this, this account that we're reading was written by Dr. Luke. Luke was a doctor. That's why we call it him Dr. Luke. It's part of it. But who was the man that came back to Jesus? A Samaritan. Now, granted, we understand as Jesus is going that he's along the border between Samaria and Galilee. But the border of Samaria and Galilee, because Samaria is where a lot of the Samaritans live, and Galilee is where a lot of the Jewish people live, when we say the border, that's like a big border. These people aren't just going back and forth over the border intermingling. We're talking about Samaritans here. We're talking about half-breeds. We're talking about rejects. We're talking about people that no one wanted to associate with. This is what gives flavor to the Good Samaritan parable that Jesus told. Because these are the people that were rejected by society. They were half-breeds in the sense that they were not of pure Jewish descent or pure Gentile descent. Even it was basically some type of intermingling. And people didn't like the Samaritans. The only people that liked the Samaritans were the Samaritans. And the fact that this guy was pointed out that Luke says here clearly in verse 16, and he was a Samaritan, tells us that even amongst the ten men, this probably was the only Samaritan in the group. That's how bad leprosy camp is. Once you join leprosy camp, it's not about who you are, it's about what you got. But I want you to consider, let's think about this guy a little bit closer. Because when he had leprosy, he was a leper. When he didn't have leprosy, he was still a Samaritan. This guy, his whole life, has been used to being rejected. This guy, his whole life, has basically been unclean in the eyes of everybody but Samaritans. And what happens here is amazing. Not just that he was healed of leprosy, not just that he was healed of being an outcast, but the fact that he was recognized and loved by Jesus. Look at what he says to him. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You know, church, when we were sinners, when we were apart from Christ, before we entered into a relationship with Christ, and some of y'all might still be there now. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. There might be people in here that have never given their life to Christ. And, and that's what I'm talking about. When we we're outside of Christ. We're outcasts. We're rejects. Jesus called this man a foreigner, and we were foreigners apart from Christ. But here's, here's the beauty of the gospel, church. The beauty of the gospel. Jesus eliminates the prejudice in the sense that This Samaritan guy had no right walking up to a Jewish man and thanking him for anything. 
realistically, this Jewish man had no reason to do anything to help a Samaritan but Jesus. The Samaritan, even though he might have received something great from a Jewish man, had no right to go back to a a Jewish man and say, thank you so much, but Jesus. You know what it reminds me of? Me, who has no right to have any type of association with a holy and perfect God because of my sin, my sin, because of my shortcomings, because of my mistakes, because of my failures. I have no privilege or right or deserve nothing from God, nothing from God. The only thing I've actually earned is the wrath of God. But Jesus, Jesus didn't see me for my sin. You know why? You know why Jesus doesn't see you for your sin? Because see, sin, our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings, it incurs consequences. It incurs punishment. Just like when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your parents found out about it, you got punished for it. Such is our sin that when we do one thing wrong, just one thing wrong, it separates us from a holy, perfect God. And our one thing wrong brings with it consequences, punishment. But Jesus, Jesus recognized for the glory of God the Father the desire for fellowship with man, his creation. And Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life, and he walked along the road between the Samaritan and Galilee border, headed to Jerusalem. Because you know what he did when he got to Jerusalem, church? Let me tell you what he did. Because there might be somebody here that doesn't know. When he got to Jerusalem, he laid down his life, and he took the punishment for my sin. The blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross was the payment for your consequences of your sin and mine. It was the satisfaction of God of his wrath being poured out. Instead of God's wrath poured out on us for our sin, it was poured out on Jesus. And the prejudice that once exists, the enemies of God, as the word tells us we once were, was eliminated because of the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful that I'm no longer a foreigner to Jesus. Jesus eliminates the prejudice that we're no longer foreigners and we're family. Paul says it best in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 20. He writes this. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. But on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You talk about elimination of prejudice, church. Christ has paid the price that separates you from God. Have you accepted the grace of that payment? Have you received that? Or are you still holding on to your shortcomings? 
So we see Jesus eliminating the prognosis. We see Jesus eliminating the problem. We see Jesus eliminating the prejudice. Y'all kind of see some alliteration going on. Y'all, I feel like an old school preacher now. Guess what number four starts with? No, PR. Because we went too deep in our alliterations this week. Jesus eliminates the proximity. Look at this. Notice the distance. What happens in verse 12? They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. You know why they called out in a loud voice? Because when somebody's very far away and you want them to hear you, what do you have to do? Call out in a loud voice or yell, as we put it in Alabamese. Absolutely. But by the time we see the one who is healed, where do we see him in verse 16? He threw himself at the feet of Jesus. You know, Jesus eliminates the distance between God and the unclean. Anybody got that story to tell today? And did you see when he gave thanks? Did you? He didn't walk up and say, Jesus, I would like to thank you for saving me of my leprosy. He didn't even go up and say, Jesus, look, no more leprosy. Give me a hug. I, side note, I kind of like the fact that Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And he went and showed himself to the Savior. I like that. But he came back and to show his thanks... He got on his face at the feet of Jesus. And, and mm, uh, let me, uh, uh, no, stop it. I know what you're thinking. Well, that's how they did it in biblical times. No, people. No. You know what happened here? This guy, his whole life, he had probably thought more times about the day he would die than he did about the day he would be healed. This guy had probably tried to answer the question, I wonder what's going to happen when this disease just... I wonder what happens after you die. This guy recognized that it is impossible for him to ever be whole again. This guy didn't even think about the improbability that he would be cured or healed of leprosy. This guy had just embraced the fact that I'm a dead man walking until I no longer have feet because they rot and fall off that I can't walk anymore. That was this man's life. This man recognized this isn't just an improbability. This is an impossibility that just made happen, just made available through Jesus. Because church, you have to understand when we realize what we can't do for ourselves, and it has been done for us, you understand what it means to say thank you to somebody. I have a feeling that if we walked out of these doors and you saw your child walking into the belt line, And there was an 18-wheeler coming. And somebody came and saved and pushed your child out of the way so that they would not be harmed. I have a feeling you wouldn't just walk up to that person and say, I want to thank you for saving my child's life. I doubt you would walk up and say, hey, give me a hug, man. Thanks for saving my... I have a feeling the fact that they did something you couldn't do, that they provided for you for something that was impossible for you to do, you wouldn't just go up and shake a hand or hug a neck. You would throw themselves at your feet and you would say, oh, thank you so much for saving my child. 
This guy, this isn't a biblical thing, church. This isn't a, this is how they did it back then, church. This is a man who recognized the gravity of what Jesus has just done for his life. And he gets on his hands and his feet, face and he worships Jesus. When was the last time you were this thankful for what Jesus has done in your life? And I'm not saying that in a minute we're going to sing and everybody better come follow. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that this is what thanksgiving looks like. That we recognize that it wasn't, wow, thanks Jesus, that was a big help you did on the cross for me. No, this is something much deeper and bigger in the sense that you could do nothing for yourself. You're condemned and destined for hell, but Jesus walked on the road to Jerusalem, saw mercy and demonstrated it. And then when he got there, demonstrated even more for you and me. And the response to that is thanksgiving. The response to what God has done for the unclean and rejected is worship. This is what thanksgiving looks like. If you really want to go back in the times, if you really want to dive deeper into this scripture, if you think about before the New Testament, salvation was just for the Jews. And Jesus just showed this Samaritan man, no, 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 no. Salvation's for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Those who believe in Jesus Christ. The unclean. The outcast. The reject. And if I'm the only one in the room that shares those three titles before Jesus, then so be it. But I will boast in these titles so that I can experience thanksgiving this week when I give thanks to my Lord and Savior for what he's done for me. This is how we are called to give thanks. It's not on a Black Friday. It's not even over a turkey. It's not in front of the football screen. It is in front of Jesus Christ Worshiping him out of thanksgiving for what he has done. And guess what? That's more than once a year, church. That's more than once a year. Well, every Wednesday night when, when our crew gathers here and we go over prayer requests, we make it a big deal to talk about the praises. Because if we get tired of thanking God for anything, what, do, what makes us think he needs to, wants to do more for us? When I was a boy... My mom and dad taught me to say thank you for what people did and gave you. I got a feeling I'm not the only one in this room. Have we thanked Jesus for what he's done? For some of you in this room, have you accepted the offer of grace that Jesus has afforded you? That you might be thankful? Or do we still just find contentment in walking around shouting, Unclean, unclean. Our response to the Lord is to give thanks for what he's done. Even if how he did it isn't the way we wanted it. We give thanks. We worship. Because Jesus cared for the unclean. Jesus 
hears the call for mercy. Jesus draws us close to a God who meets every need. And our response to that should be thanksgiving. I hope this week, wherever you go, whoever you're with, that you truly give thanks to God. But I also hope that in that moment, at that table, wherever you are, that maybe you can put the sales ads down for just a minute. Maybe you can turn the TV off for just a minute and you can gather everybody that's there with you and you give thanks by declaring your testimony of what Jesus has done for you. You worship him by acknowledging his gift and lead your family to give thanks. And this morning, if you're just tired of being an outcast, if you're tired of yelling unclean because you know your life is upside down with the way you're trying to fix it, maybe this morning you recognize that you've been made clean. But all you have to do is respond in obedience. His mercy is available. Will you accept it? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, oftentimes in our prayers we start off by saying thank you for this day. Thank you for letting us be here. God, sometimes we kind of downplay giving thanks because God, we might not really be thankful. But Father, because of Jesus, but Jesus, we can experience your goodness and grace. We can be made whole again. We can be declared clean because of the blood of Jesus that washes away all sin. It doesn't cover it. It takes it away. And God, for the person here this morning that's trying to get to heaven on their own, that's trying to do this life on their own, this person this morning, God, help them see that it's impossible without Jesus. Just as it was impossible for this Samaritan man to be cured of leprosy, he couldn't do it apart from Jesus. But when Jesus calls, he answered. God, today, may someone in this room who does not know you as Savior answer as you call them today. And all they have to do, Father, is just walk down this aisle. I would love to talk with them about that, what that means, what that looks like, to pray over them, to pray with them. But God, just like the leper, they had to move in obedience, in obedience to you. And God, today, I pray that is their story. God, I pray that today as families are gathered here and as we prepare for uh, a week that we get to celebrate a holiday called Thanksgiving, that we don't wait till Thursday, Father, to truly give you thanks. That may we replicate the posture of this Samaritan man and find ourselves at your feet in front of your throne, giving you worship and praise for all you have done. Even the things that we're not crazy about, God, lead us to give you thanks knowing that whatever we went through, we didn't go through alone. 
And God, may we as a church continually give you thanks for the grace and mercy you pour out on us. But may we respond by being obedient in what you're calling us to do and be. God, this morning as we respond to you in an invitation, whatever you're laying on our hearts, God, if we we just move towards you, you are faithful, God. So may we have the obedience and trust to do so even now. Lead us, move us, and be glorified in it. In your name we pray. Amen. As we sing, will you stand and come? Praise the Lord.